this unknown writer put these words together. Socrates taught for 40 years, Plato for 50, Aristotle for 40, and yet Jesus only for three. Yet the impact of the finished, the emphasis here on finished, work of Christ three years infinitely transcends the impact left by the combined 130 years of these three great philosophers of antiquity. Jesus painted no picture, and yet some of the finest paintings of Raphael, Michelangelo, and Leonardo da Vinci received their inspirations from him. Jesus wrote no poetry, but yet Dante and Milton and scores of the world's greatest poets were inspired by him. Jesus composed no music, and yet Haydn, Handel, Beethoven, Bach, and Mendelssohn reached their highest perfection of melody in hymns and symphonies that they composed in praise of Him. Every sphere of human greatness has been inspired by the humble carpenter from Galilee. But His ultimate transformation of the human race is the salvation of souls. Philosophy could not accomplish that. No art, no literature, no music can accomplish that. Only Jesus can break the enslaving chains of sin and guilt and the power of Satan. Only Jesus, who paid the price fully on the cross, could speak eternal peace into a human heart. Only Jesus can strengthen the weak, heal the sick, and give life to those who are spiritually dead. And as we come to this seventh and last statement from the cross, we find that only John, of all the four gospel writers, record that last word. Don't forget, John was there. He heard the loud cries, and he heard the soft words. He heard every word from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ on that cross. In fact, Mark 15 said, Jesus gave a loud cry and died. Matthew 27 said, Jesus again gave a loud cry and breathed His last. Luke 23 said, then Jesus gave a loud cry. But then in John 19.30, John said, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, He bowed His head and gave His Spirit. Now, the original seventh word, which comes in three words in English, it's one word, and I want you to memorize it, tatalestai, it is finished. It took three English words to get that one word. (laughs) More accurately, it has been finished, or it has been accomplished. Some of you hated grammar and syntax in school. I did too. But then when I got older, and I learned how can grammar and syntax can excite me in reading the Greek New Testament, literally, I became a devotee of grammar and syntax, and I hope that's going to bless you in the same way. That word, tatalestai, is a perfect passive verb. You say, well, Michael, what is so exciting about that? I'm going to tell you. What does it mean to be perfect passive verb? Listen carefully. It means that the purpose has been fulfilled. It means that the goal has been realized. It means that the objective has been achieved. It means that the end has been reached. It means that it is finished. But hold on, that's not all. 
when you say it's perfect passive verb means that the effect of that realized goal goes on and on and on. It means that the result of that fulfilled purpose continues forever. It means that the benefits that has reached by this end will go on till eternity. It means that the impact of the benefits that are accomplished on the cross will go on until Jesus comes back. It means that the blessings will be forever and ever and ever. When Jesus said it is finished, the result of which He has accomplished will endure for eternity. When Jesus said it is finished, it means that in every generation and from every nation, anyone who would come to Him and bow at His feet and receive and accept the blessings that come from that finished work of Christ will be eternally saved. I told you you're going to get excited about grammar. You see, the medieval church taught that uh, the priest has the power to offer Jesus Christ on the altar every time he says the Mass. And the Reformers said, hold on. <laughs> no, and a million no. The sacrifice was finished there on Calvary. The sacrifice was completed there on Golgotha. The sacrifice was completed there on the hill called the Skull. Jesus could not possibly be offered on the altar every time the Mass is said. It's impossibility. Why? Because He is reigning and ruling in heaven. He is sitting on the right hand of the Father. He is sitting in an unapproachable splendor. He is sitting on the rim of the universe. He is sitting on the throne of God, and He cannot be offered as a sacrifice again and again. Listen to me. His sacrifice was once and for all, but its effect, its result, its blessings, its benefits continues on and on and on to everyone who would come and bend their knees before Him and acknowledge Him as their Savior and Lord. The action is finished, but the results continue. The work is done, but the effect continues. Only its effect is felt and remembered by us. And there's something else here that I don't want you to miss. It's very important. His sum total of His ministry and mission, the very reason why He came from heaven, was perfectly and completely summarized in that word is from His birth to His boyhood to His adolescent years to His manhood to His public ministry. The cry of His life has been, I must finish the work of my Father. I must complete or accomplish the work of my Father. When he was baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan, he said to John, he said, John, permit it to be so in order that we may complete all righteousness. I must finish the work of my Father. In his temptation in the wilderness when the devil came and tried to give him a shortcut to avoid the cross, and he thwarted the trick of that deceiver, that adversary, and insisted, he says, I must finish the work of my Father. Jesus' entire ministry was built on that statement, I must finish the work of my Father. 
In the Gospel of John, he speaks so clearly about the hour, his hour, the hour, my hour. As if Jesus had an internal clock that nobody can know except himself. As if Jesus had, was hearing the chimes of a, an internal clock that no one else can hear it except him. And so in the second chapter of the Gospel of John, when he went to attend the wedding of a neighbor in Cana of Galilee, and there his mother asked him to help them because they ran out of wine, and he turned water into wine, he said to her, Woman, my hour has not yet come. You see, Jesus was motivated by that hour. He was compelled by that hour. He was propelled by that hour. It is for that hour that he came from heaven. And in John chapter 7, verse 8, when his brothers were taunting him and saying to him, Get up to the feast and declare yourself to be a prophet, little that they know. And he, with majesty and with dignity, said to them, No, my hour has not yet come. No wonder after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his brother James was so glad to die for his sake, and his brother Jude calls himself slave of Jesus Christ. Many times the enemies of Christ tried to kill him. They tried to destroy him, but they couldn't. You know why? Because his hour has not yet come. And in John chapter 13, that famous passage where Jesus washed the disciples' feet, it tells us, knowing that his hour has come. What hour? The hour of finishing the work of the Father. I know some of you are right now asking the question, and you're waiting What about that promotion you've been waiting for? What about this spouse you've been waiting for? What about this job that you've been waiting for? What about this child that you've been waiting for? What about this healing that you've been waiting for? What about this deliverance that you've been waiting for? And your cry is, Lord, when? When will it be done? When will it be accomplished? When will it be fulfilled? And yet you and I have no option but to wait for His hour. His hour. Because his hour is perfect. His hour is marvelous. His hour is magnificent. His hour is the right hour. It's the right time and in the right place. Amen belongs here. When Jesus spoke his last word on the cross, what is that word? That was not a cry of resignation, that was not a cry of sorrow. This was not a cry of helplessness. No, 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 a million no's. This was a cry of accomplishment. It was a cry of completion. Accomplishment of God's plan for salvation so that from that moment on, only those who come and receive that finished work of Christ on the cross, that accomplished work of Christ on the cross, will receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Not only that, but the entire Old Testament history, the entire Old Testament history has been waiting and looking and longing for that word. The word is? Abraham, by faith, longed for the day when he could hear the word. 
Moses prophesied of that day in which the word will be uttered. And in what word? David sung psalms and prophesied in many of his psalms, looking forward longingly for that day when that word is uttered. The word is? Prophet after prophet after prophet declare the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they looked forward to that word, and the word is? The cry of every book in the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi is the longing to hear that word, Tatalestai. In fact, the Ten Commandments, the very Ten Commandments that they're supposed to convict us, they are supposed to condemn us, they are supposed to counsel us. Paul said they're like a schoolmaster. They're just guiding us until we get to Christ. The cry of the Ten Commandments is, it is not finished. It's not finished. Why? For the only one who could have kept the Ten Commandments perfectly all the time had not yet come. That's why it's not finished. But when Jesus came, there you find Sinai bowing to Golgotha and says, it is finished. Tatalistai. In fact, the Old Testament itself is like hieroglyphics, really, without Christ. It's puzzlement. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who provided us with the Rosetta Stone so that we understand what the Old Testament is all about. You see, in the Old Testament, the tabernacles and the temples, they were all symbols of the presence of God among His people. Today, we have no need of them anymore. Why? Because Jesus said, Mark 15, 38, tells us that when Jesus died on that cross, the veil of the temple was ripped from top to bottom. Why? Because everything that the temple stood for was buried with Christ. And now you and I are the temples of the Holy Spirit. We are the temples in which the Spirit of God dwells. And that is why it is such an important and awesome responsibility for us to spiritually cleanse that temple. And that is why the Bible repeatedly said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by sinning. Don't quench the Holy Spirit by disobedience. But allow that Holy Spirit to reign supreme on that temple and in that temple. In fact, when John said Jesus gave His Spirit, it was a fulfillment of what Jesus already told them, that when He goes and dies and goes to the Father, His Spirit will come into the world. The moment Jesus died, His Spirit began to work. Of course, we see it manifest in the day of Pentecost completely. But His Spirit began to work with power in the believers the moment Jesus died. Even the symbol of the Lamb that is without blemish and the sprinkling of the doorpost with blood they would be meaningless without understanding the cross. They are meaningless unless we hear that last word of Jesus that says, it is finished. But there is one last thing that I don't want you to miss about this final word that Jesus spoke. Tetalistai. Most likely... Jesus was not the only one who said, it is finished. And the reason I say most likely, because I cannot point it to you, chapter and verse from the Scripture, 
but is very clear from reading the Scripture. There's no doubt in my mind that Caiaphas, that high priest who prostituted the religious establishment, he probably said when he heard that word, he said, it is finished. And he thought, I managed to squelch another movement by a man who claimed to be God in skin. And he said, it's finished. I have no doubt the Roman authorities said it is finished. One last chapter in their tenuous relationship with the Jews, and that too said it is finished. The crowd who stood there watching the spectacle, no doubt they said when they heard him say it is finished, they too said it's finished, and they went home confused. Even the disciples who have heard from his lips that he's going to die and rise again, that he's going to die and rise again. And he told them how many times, and yet they just did not want to hear what Jesus is saying. They too went into the upper room, locked the doors, and said, it is finished. But beloved friends, listen to me. All these finishes, (laughs) very different from what? It is different from his. It is finished. Because when Jesus said, Tata, let's die, the gates of hell shook, and the demons who tormented the human race for a long time, they trembled. Their commander-in-chief said to them, boys, I've had tried to stop him, but I couldn't. I tried to stop him in his childhood by getting Herod to kill all those babies, and I couldn't. I tried to stop him in the wilderness, and I couldn't. I tried to stop him in the garden, and I couldn't. I tried to stop him at the time of his trial, and I couldn't. I have failed. And now, boys, we are finished. Amen. Amen. Why were they finished? Oh, because they understood that when he said, it is finished, that he's going to give his children authority over the demons and to defeat them. Because they knew that he's going to give his children authority over the works of the devil. He's going to give his children authority to overcome and to live in victory and to defeat him day in and day out, and they were finished. Ah, but also, when Jesus said, Tetelestai, oh, the angels in heaven, they rejoiced and they sang what? Abraham sang, hallelujah, the hour I longed for is here. What? Moses sang a song of victory, and he said, I have led them out, but he led them up. It is... David heard the words of Jesus on the cross, and he began to pin down his 151st Psalm. (laughs) And when the prophets heard Tetelestai, they praised God for his faithfulness, for fulfilling all of the prophecies that they have prophesied about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. They too sang hallelujah. Now, my beloved friends, it is your responsibility and mine, if you know Jesus as your only Savior, is to take that Word, the finished work of Christ, across the street and across the world. That is why 
the last words of Jesus in Mark, in Matthew, in Luke, in John, and in Acts. What? Be my witnesses. Go and tell. Make disciples. As the Father sent me, I send you. That is the message, the last words that he left them with before he was ascended into heaven. That's the only message that we have in this church. And that is the only message that we take to the estimated 4.1 billion people who have access of hearing the message, either through radio, television, or the Internet, or all the other technological things. This week, Jonathan shared with us some letters from Albania. He has visited Albania and met these people face to face. And he sent to us a number of letters, one that touched me so deeply. It's an Albanian woman named Yolanda. She's a 24-year-old. It's a long letter. I give you the highlight. I came to the Lord by hearing you on Radio 7. Raised in a strong Muslim traditional home where women are worth nothing. The loneliness was killing me. And I had made plans to kill myself. Then I heard you say that Jesus really loves me. She finishes by saying, Thank you for helping me understand the value of life here on earth and in heaven. And beloved, you made it possible for the hundreds of thousands of Yolandas to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're going to meet many people in heaven who will thank you for making the gospel available to them. But I was thinking in the early hours of this morning, wouldn't it be a tragedy of all tragedies if we are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth and if somebody's watching who have never committed a life to Jesus Christ, that they've never really understood what that word means, it is finished. And that is not by effort, it's not by church, it's not by denomination, it's not by doing things, but it is by faith. Wouldn't that be tragedy? And that is why I want to give you an opportunity. If you've never come to Him, bowed the knees to the cross and say, Lord Jesus, when you said it is finished, everything was done. All I need to do is come and receive from your hand the forgiveness of my sins, and I can rejoice that eternal life is mine here and now. Let me plead with you. Not one person would leave this place without praying this prayer. Father, what a mighty God you are. You have left yourself not without a witness, and I thank you for that. Father, I thank you that these words are heard again and again and again are going to serve as a witness if we do not come to you and receive you. Father, let those words sink deep into our hearts so that we will turn to you with all of our hearts. And Father, for those of us who have known you, have got this greatest secret on the face of the earth, and yet we're keeping it to ourselves. Father, forgive us for that and motivate us today to walk across the street, to walk across the office, to walk across the the golf course, wherever we are, Father, and to the end of the earth, that we will take the gospel to everyone who's desperate to hear it and receive it and be saved eternally. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. 
If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.